This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a series I'm calling The Bell Chronicles here on Turn on the Jets Digital. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. This is, of course, one of several shows that you're going to hear before March 11th when the free agency period starts, breaking down the superstar running back from the Pittsburgh Steelers, Le'Veon Bell, who is widely expected to be the Jets' number one target in free agency. And I am joined today by the deputy editor of Behind the Steel Curtain. He's an expert on the salary cap for the Pittsburgh Steelers as well, so he can tell you a lot about what was going on with the contract holdout and all those things. He's going to help take us on a journey all throughout Le'Veon Bell's Steelers career. Mr. Simon Chester, what's going on, Simon? Hey, man, how you doing? Good to be on the show. Happy to talk about Le'Veon Bell, even if uh, it will be for a new team in the future, I imagine. I don't know what's going to happen right now. The only thing I do know is that Le'Veon Bell is going to get paid by somebody, whether it's the Jets or somebody else. 1,000% he is going to be cashing in this offseason, and he's going to be doing it based on the body of work that he put together with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I want to go back, though, before he got to the Steelers, to his Michigan State days. His junior year was where he really put himself on the map. He ran for a career-high 253 yards against Eastern Michigan, which is really what a lot of people saw on the highlight tapes, and he finished with 1,793 rushing yards, voted to the first team All-Big Ten by coaches, the media, ESPN.com, College Football News, and the great Phil Steele, whose magazine I still buy, believe it or not. I know that makes me feel like an old man sometimes. I'm actually buying magazines, but... I've been doing it for a long time, and traditions die hard. So he declares for the NFL draft, and I thought this was fascinating, Simon, and I wanted to see if you remembered this at all. Le'Veon Bell took part in Michigan State's Pro Day. There was only one NFL head coach that showed up to that Pro Day, and that head coach was Mike Tomlin. Do you remember anything about this and hearing that Tomlin had gone to the Michigan State Pro Day and that he had been impressed by Bell? I do remember him going there because one of the things I do is I always try and track where the Steelers coaches and scouts are going during the uh, during the draft pro- draft process. Um, I do remember him going there. I think he went. I have a feeling Kevin Colbert went. I have a feeling actually they may have taken the running back or the offensive coordinator with them as well. It wasn't just uh, Tomlin that turned up. It was quite a few of them. Like all teams, the Steelers have scouts throughout the year that are watching watching teams in the college season. And I think that the Steelers had had their eye on him for quite some time. It wasn't as obvious in the process until after and the revelations of Le'Veon Bell saying, yeah, I had an interview with or I met this scout at or, you know, a Steelers guy came to my game against Eastern Michigan or whoever it was. But the Steelers have been tracking him for a while, perhaps more so than most teams, I think. Seemed that way because he became a priority on their draft list. They ended up picking him in the second round. He was the second running back picked and ended up going into the 2013 season competing for the starting running back job with Isaac Redman. He didn't appear in his first game until September 29th because he'd had an injury in the preseason, and the debut was at Wembley Stadium, and you were there. So could you tell me a little bit about your in-person introduction to Le'Veon Bell? I'll give you you another story, actually, about his game up close, because back in those days, I was working for the NFL. I used to do the uh, pregame entertainments. Set up the hotels for the teams when they came in and helped them move their luggage and things like that from the airport. Le'Veon Bell had a good time when he was in London. <laughs> he enjoyed the sights. And in a capacity of being a Steeler fan and a writer, I didn't really get into it too much. But uh, the last thing I saw about Le'Veon Bell before I went down to watch the game the next day and work on it as well, do the pregame stuff, 
was Le'Veon Bell was up until four in the morning posting social media posts, screaming down the phone how he couldn't sleep. And so I remember going to that game thinking, yeah, he's going to suck today. This is his debut. He's not exactly been the most focused all week. And he had a really good game. He looked good. Yeah, undeniable facts about Le'Veon is he's a good running back. And he was <laughs> from pretty much the second he turned up. That's one way of putting it. He's an undeniably good running back in that day. Like you said, he was good. Two touchdowns in his NFL debut. And then we fast forward to October of that year when Redmond gets released. And now Le'Veon Bell is the man in Pittsburgh. November 28th is when he had his first really strong game as a lead running back. 16 carries for 73 yards, including a 43-yard touchdown. And he had a season-high seven catches for 63 yards on the road in a loss to the Baltimore Ravens. So the Steelers came up short that day, but Le'Veon Bell started to prove his mettle. And then week 16 in a road matchup against the Packers, boy, did he really break out. 26 carries for 124 yards and a touchdown. So he closed that season strong. And at the end, he was able to break Franco Harris's rookie record for total yards from scrimmage with 1,259 yards. So at this point, Simon, as we're closing out the year, Redmond's gone. Bell has clearly become the man, and he has now broken the rookie record that Franco Harris set many years ago. What's your thought process here? Are you starting to think that this guy could be something more than what the Steelers bargained for by getting him in the second round? I think at that point, I'm thinking he's looking like the guy you assumed they were going to get with the second round pick. I mean, the second round pick is still a fairly high high pick for, for any player. And in that era for running backs, um, I don't think there'd been many going much higher than him for a few years before that. Um, he had a good season. No denying it, he struggled with pass protection, but every rookie running back struggles with pass protection. He picked up the pass the, as a receiver. He was better than advertised, probably. Um, he seemed more of a grinding runner coming out of college than, than the style he showed when he got into the pros. Um yeah, he was, having gone through the years of Isaac Redman and workman-like running backs for the, the period between Bettis and then briefly Willie Parker, but the Steelers really hadn't had a notable running back for the three, four years before Bell turned up. So I think fans were quite willing to jump on board and embrace him from the outset, really. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. 
This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Things are about to change because we saw the upside in Le'Veon Bell in his rookie year, but now, as you said, the Steelers had had kind of a bunch of jags, for lack of better terminology, at running back for a while. Le'Veon Bell was about to show that he was well above that because in the 2014 season, he had an absolutely monstrous year. Think about this. He finished the season averaging 4.7 yards per carry, and he also had a career-high 290 carries for 1,361 rushing yards, eight touchdowns, 83 catches for 854 yards, and three receiving touchdowns. So he's starting to become arguably the best dual threat in the entire league. Some huge performances in this season, too. He had 185 yards in a 42-21 win over the Cincinnati Bengals. He got AFC Offensive Player of the Week for that one. Also had a monstrous game against the New Orleans Saints, running for 95 yards on 21 carries and a rushing touchdown. So all the way through the season, you could point to performances like this. Over 100 yards against the Carolina Panthers, 109 yards against the Cleveland Browns. There was a streak that he had at the beginning of the season where he had seven straight games with over 100 yards from scrimmage. So just a fantastic season all around. Ends up becoming a first-team All-Pro, but... The bad news here, Simon, as you remember, is he had that injury where he hyperextended his knee at the end of the year and didn't play in the playoff game. So let's talk about this and unwrap it. End of the season comes. Bell can't play in the playoff game, but he had this fantastic year. What are your thoughts on him as a player here? And are there any thoughts about his durability just based on the fact that he got hurt and couldn't play in the playoff game? The injury was um, suffered against the Bengals. And I'm sure there are plenty of Steeler fans who will question the the accidental legitimacy of the tackle. Um, it would, I think a lot of people would tell you it was less his knee has an issue or is weak and more the fact that another player relatively intentionally smacked him right on the front of his kneecap with the intention of hurting him. I'm a Steelers fan, so I'll go with that narrative. <laughs> um, he, no, fantastic season, workmanlike. His receiving skills were clearly improving almost on a weekly basis. The elusiveness and the patience that is now synonymous with his style of play was starting to really show itself. You'd seen elements of that in his first year, but that certainly wasn't who he was in, in his first season as a rookie. But it started to show a little bit more in the second season. Uh, and there were definitely points in the year and certain games where he just owned it. It was, why aren't we just giving him the ball on every carry? Because he's getting 10 yards, you know, 10 yards clip. Playoffs, everything fell apart. Without him, I believe we signed Ben Tate. I think it was Ben Tate. Yep, yep, yep. Which was utterly unmemorable. I, I don't remember what he did in the playoffs, but it wasn't good. The Steelers, while they hadn't obviously had a runner of this caliber before the, before his rookie year, it seemed that by the end of the, the playoffs came around, they relied on him so much that without him, they had no offense, which was inexplicable to a certain degree, given the talents of Roethlisberger and Brown and the other was receivers, but without him, the Steelers were sunk, and we were, I don't, do we, we lose the first game? I think we lost the first game, we won the first and went straight out, or maybe we lost the opening game, I can't actually remember exactly that year, but I just remember it was not good. So you would say that he was the engine that drove train? Oh, yeah, mass- absolutely. He was, he was the focus of the offense. Well, they'll all tell you that, you know, from a game plan perspective, we were a balanced offense, and they were. Um, he was... He was the one moving the ball with the most consistency. The offensive line was good, absolutely, and that was helping him. But the combination of a strong offensive line allowed to focus more on the running game with him 
him as the main driving factor. He was definitely, definitely the, what put the Steelers over the top. And without him, they're a different team in the playoffs. Simon, before we get to the 2015 season, let's talk about what happened off the field because this is where we start. To, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. This is where we start to see some of the baggage that people are talking about with Le'Veon Bell. This actually happened in August of 2014, but he wasn't punished mm-hmm. for it till going into the 2015 season. But LeGarrette Blunt and Le'Veon Bell were pulled over and they ended up getting charged on a DUI and marijuana possession. There was quite a bit of marijuana in that car at the time. So Bell ends up getting suspended, although it gets reduced from three games to two. So talk to me a little bit about what you remember about this whole incident when it happened and the suspension that ensued in 2015. It's a preseason game. He's heading towards, he's going to catch the team playing because I think they're playing against Philadelphia in a preseason game. And he's stopped on his way to the airport. Now, I don't remember exactly what the deal is, but I believe it's him, Blunt, and a young lady. And I believe ultimately, to clarify the legal issues from a police perspective, the young lady accepted the responsibility for all of the goods in the car, shall we say. Yeah, he got suspended. They, well, they didn't play him in the game that weekend, obviously. I don't believe Blunt played either. <sighs> what can you say? Man caught, caught, caught smoking weed in the car. Stupid. Not majorly criminal from my perspective. I'm not really that fussed. Whether you smoke or not, whether it should be a crime or not, it's a different story. The fact is you're in a car smoking on your way to catch a plane to go and play. <laughs> so aside from everything else, and we've all been young once, you know that if you smoke weed in a car, get out of the car, go through an airport, you're going to stink of weed. You're going to get on the plane, you're going to stink of weed. Now, maybe he sprays himself down, whatever. But from a lot of fans' perspective, yes, the smoking weed was bad, but it was the fact you were caught smoking weed on the way to play a game. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be stoned for the game. Obviously, you had a flight in it the next day and all that. But come on, man. Seriously? Unfortunately for him, Simon, this was the first time he would be disciplined by the league, but it wouldn't be the last. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, let's talk about the 2015 season. As I said, he was suspended the first two games, but then he picked up right where he left off. He had some monster games. He had 22 carries for 129 yards and a touchdown in a loss to the Ravens. He had 21 carries for 111 yards and scored a last-second game-winning touchdown out of the Wildcat to help beat the Chargers. During a Week 6 matchup against the Arizona Cardinals, he had a season-high 24 carries and finished the game with 88 yards. So all around again, it seems like he's the engine that's driving this Steelers train. But then on November 1st, 2015, Bell suffers another injury. This time it's a torn MCL during the second quarter against the Bengals. Got tackled by notorious dirty actor Vontez Perfect. So this is the second time now, by the way, Simon, and I'll let you opine on this in a second, that he's had his season ended by the Cincinnati Bengals. So he ends up going on injured reserve. But by the time the season ends, he's an all-pro yet again. And he is one of the top players in the top 100 list for the NFL where they vote on, all the players vote on it at the end of the season. He's number 41. So let's talk about this a little bit. The year before is when we saw him break out as this super stud. This year he comes back after the suspension and seems to pick up right where he left off. So before, if you had thought that he was a bit of a fluke, you're not thinking that anymore, right? No, when he came back, as much as you wanted to hate him a little bit for costing you the first two games of the season, I don't remember the Steelers particularly dominating those two games. 
when he came back, it's like he'd never left and he was better. Um, he looked trim as well. I mean, uh, you'll hear lots of negative things about Levy and Bella. The man works out. He works at his craft. He trains. He does not take time off in, you know, the image that he has. He came back with like lean, eight pack, 12 pack, whatever. I mean, man had muscles bulging everywhere, slimmed down. Clearly, we'd worked out a lot in his time away. I mean, six games, I'll just get the stats now. Six games, 556 yards and a 4.9 yard carry average. He was dominating. Best season he'd had. And then when they play the Bengals and Burfecht, I think they get tangled up on the sideline. Again, <laughs> many Steeler fans will question the legitimacy of that tackle. And I think given Burfecht's uh, reputation, it's probably even more justifiable to question it than the one the year before. Um, and that was a bad injury. It was a MCL, PCL. I'm not sure if it's ACL as well, but it was not a simple surgery recovery. But um, I'm not sure as you were going to mention, he came back in fine form next year. But yeah, that was a bad year in terms of where he was at and how he might have helped the Steelers in the postseason. Without him, again, the offense started to slide. But he was a big factor in the few games that he played and he could have had an exceptional season. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. At this point now, he's had the two injuries. So I'd asked you before if you were a little worried after the first one. But you've got to be concerned about the durability now, right? No, I would never. I never thought to myself at the time, oh, here we go, injury. This is just this guy's life. Yes, the injuries became up. And if you started to become a Bell hater, which there was a faction of Steeler fans that were already on the bandwagon of hating Bell by that point with the, the suspensions and just not being available. You know how fans, some fans can be. I personally never got the sense that this is just who he is. I saw them more as random freak, almost excessive play on the part of their opponent that you couldn't really legislate for a blow of that type or the impact that he took in the first game against Cincinnati. It was, it was just perfectly right on the front of his knee as he's playing his leg. It wasn't, it wasn't like he just stepped and he tore his ACL. For me, players are injury prone if my man's running, cutting, and nobody touches him, his ACL blows. Then I'm concerned about your durability. If some huge 250-pound linebacker lands on your leg wrong under a pile of players and then yanks your leg off as he gets off and it tears your PCL and MCL, I'm not thinking to myself, your body's weak. Do you know what I mean? It's just a different sort of injury, really. Certainly, and we would see how we would bounce back the next season, and he would have a little extra time because, Simon, as I mentioned before, Le'Veon Bell got himself into some trouble and got suspended with LeGarrette Blunt with the marijuana, and it wouldn't be the last time because in August of 2016, the announcement comes that Le'Veon Bell suspended for the first three games of the 2016 season after violating the NFL substance abuse policy. He did state later that the reason was because he missed random drug tests the previous <laughs> December. He had originally been suspended for four games, but it was reduced to three on appeal. So let's talk about this. From the laughter, I'm sure you have plenty of memories. Tell me what you remember about this. The rumors started to come out that he was missing drug tests, I believe, 
fairly early in the off season, maybe even February, March time, because obviously you're in a program at that point. So I believe you're getting tested at least once a month, possibly even more. And there were some rumours that got dismissed, and there was a fairly prominent local Pittsburgh radio host called Mark Madden. Everybody hates him, loudmouth, intentionally objectionable. That's his stick. Uh, but he has some sources on the team, and he had this story that Le'Veon Bell had, had failed a drug test. Uh, and it went relatively viral in the Pittsburgh region, and Le'Veon Bell responded by calling him a liar. There went a big back and forth about disrespecting his talent, blah, 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 blah. Then it comes out about a month or so later. Yeah, he'd missed like 12 tests or something. I don't know. A hell of a lot of tests. He hadn't just missed one or two. He had missed a lot. Now, you can say he missed a test because he knew he'd fail them. Or you can say he missed a test because, well, I'm Le'Veon Bell, so why should I go and have to get a test when you tell me to? He complained that they turned up at random times of the day and night to do his testing, which they do. Stupid times. I mean... The NFL will turn up at four o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday to test you in the offseason without warning. You get a text message, I believe, about an hour or so before they're there, and you have to answer the door and have your, your urine sample given. And if you don't, you fail the test. So accepting that, yes, there is an absolutely insane policy that the way the run, NFL runs a drug testing policy for people, strictly people in the program, he missed a lot of tests. There's no denying it. And then he lied and said that he hadn't missed any tests and that all the stories in the newspaper were just out to get him and he was victim and everyone hated him and it was unfair and he was just trying to be a good professional. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, yeah, I, I lied. Yeah, I did. So at that point, he lost a lot of fans. Not, again, so much because he got done for uh, marijuana or failed a test or missed a test, however you want to describe it. That was bad. But the fact that he told and got on record that you're lying, and then he turns out, well, yeah, I did it, so, yeah, what's your problem? That just rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Inside the organization, and out. As a Yankee fan, it reminds me a little bit of the Alex Rodriguez situation where he was going on Mike Francesa's show and swearing up and down that there was some league-wide conspiracy to bring him down, and then the report comes out that he had tested positive for steroids, and it's like, oops, never mind, just kidding. So I know exactly what you're talking about. We saw a similar reaction to A-Rod here, although the difference is, I think, A-Rod was kind of a controversial figure among Yankee fans regardless. Bell had been universally loved from what it sounds like before then. Generally, yeah. And then this kind of torpedoed him a little bit. I will say, though, Simon, call me crazy. If you miss one or two or even three of these tests... There might be something going on where you can say it's a coincidence. You're skipping 14 of them. It sounds like a purposeful effort. <laughs> I, I think, I think to be honest, I can concede if you miss one or two, I get it. I get it. If they, they gave you some stupid o'clock time twice in a row, but after you have missed two, or even one, your, your agent needs to be on you. Everybody else, the organization needs to be on you. And I believe as much as they were, I don't think he necessarily was responsive to people ringing him up and saying, look, dude, you just got to do it. At that point, his rap career started to take off a little bit as well, which is the way that some football fans can be. What are you doing in the offseason? You're releasing rap tracks. Well, you should be working out 24-7. All you should be doing is thinking about football. So you've got that. You've got the, the stereotypical connotations that he's hanging out in the studio doing rap tracks, which he was at that point with Snoop Dogg. And the obvious connotations of what that must mean doesn't really give a great picture 
how seriously he's taking the problem that he has with the league in relation to his narcotics issues. So it's at that point, it's, it's starting to get big. Everything, everything he's doing off the field is starting to overtake to a degree what he's doing on it. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. And we would see him back on the field and we would find out if he was going to be able to overcome all the things off of the field. Fourth week of the season because, as I had mentioned, he had been suspended the first three games. So would this be a situation where, again, Le'Veon Bell would come in and dominate like nothing had happened? Pretty much. That's exactly how it went down. He came in, had 18 carries for 144 yards, five catches and 34 yards against the Kansas City Chiefs in a big win. Week 7 matchup against the Patriots, he had another big game, 10 catches for 68 yards, 21 carries, 81 yards. And then he really went off the chain against the Cleveland Browns, who he seems to do very well against, which is good because if he signs with the Jets, the Jets have to play the Browns again this year. 28 carries for 146 yards and a touchdown in a 24-9 win. And then it just got even crazier and crazier because check this out in the playoff game he had 29 carries for a franchise record 167 yards and two touchdowns as the Steelers would down the Miami Dolphins the next week he continued 30 carries for 170 yards and a win over the Kansas City Chiefs he was the first NFL player to rush for over 150 yards in his first two playoff games and set a record for most rushing yards in the first two playoff games became one of only four players to ever rush for 150 yards plus in back-to-back playoff games and one of three players with two 160-yard-plus playoff games in a career. However, here we go again, suffers a groin injury late in the second playoff game, and he was unable to really do anything against the New England Patriots. So he left in the second quarter, and then the Patriots ended up winning that game. We're going to get back to that in a second, but first I want to go back also and mention that in December of that year, he broke a Steelers franchise record for rushing yards in a game with 236 on a career-high 38 carries, also scored three touchdowns. So he just had an incredible year punctuated by the playoff performance. So let's talk about this, Simon. He comes back off this suspension, has this phenomenal season, and then and puts the capper on it with these playoff performances. This guy is a franchise player at this point, no? Yeah, absolutely. 100% franchise player. But if you want to talk about the injury issue, are you starting to think questioning his durability? This might be the one year you start to question his durability. Despite the beyond exceptional game, particularly against Kansas City in the players where he is the game. I mean, the score's like 18-16 or 18-17. It's pretty much field goals from memory but he just dominates the game just he is everything and then it turns out he's got a groin tear and he's injured and then he barely plays against new england next week then he comes out of the press afterwards and says he's had this groin tear for weeks and the Steelers knew all about it and oh yeah that was just a situation then the Steelers come out and said they didn't know about it and then there's this little back and forth and then it turns out maybe the Steelers did know about it 
but maybe they didn't think it was a groin tear, and maybe when he's going around saying it's a groin tear and it's like ripped, you know, separated from his body, it's not quite as bad as that. So it kind of ends in a little bit of a cloud for him that year with was he injured, when was he injured, whose fault was it that he was still playing injured, should they have been resting him, did they work him too much, and I believe that year he has more carries than at any point in his career. Um, yeah, I think it's like 320, 320 carries that year, 321 carries, which is 35 more than he's had at any point in his career before that. They worked him hard that year, and there's a lot of questions of whether he got worn down or they mismanaged him. And was that his fault? Was it their fault? Certainly franchise back, but when the whole concept of his contract is coming up, there are certainly some people starting to question of how much longer has he's got left running backs, you know, what's the shelf life of running back? Is it five years, six years? Do you commit a massive amount of money to this man if he's only got a couple of years left? That was clearly a concern that the Steelers had too because they went back and forth with Bell about a long-term deal but didn't think that he was worth the amount of guaranteed money that he was asking for. So instead, they placed the franchise tag on him and Bell comes back and plays on that tag in 2017. And he had a really strong year, although not quite as strong as the previous years. He did have some really big games, including a 35 carry for 144 yard and two touchdown performance against the Baltimore Ravens, winning him AFC Player of the Week. And he had a bunch of those, which is why he got to his third Pro Bowl and was once again named a first team All-Pro. Overall, he had 85 catches for 655 yards and two receiving touchdowns as well. So again, we're looking at a situation where you take a look at the rushing totals, you take a look at the receiving totals, and this guy is doing it all. He really is a one-man band as far as racking up usage in the offense. And again, this is something I'm going to get back to in a second when we talk about how this ended for Bell with the Steelers. But before the AFC Divisional Round playoff game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, he puts out a tweet saying, I love round twos. We'll have two round twos in back-to-back weeks, referring to the rematch against the Jaguars, along with a possible rematch against the Patriots. Steelers end up losing that game in a shootout, but Bell had one of his weaker games, only 16 carries for 67 yards and a touchdown, although he did catch nine passes for 88 yards. So it wasn't anything close to the previous playoff performances, but he did just fine. So that tweet, once again kind of encapsulates now where people are with him as far as maybe he should kind of talk a little less because now he looks a little foolish when they go out and lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But let's talk through this a little bit, Simon. He has another strong year, but not quite as good of a season as he had had the year before. He has a perfectly fine playoff game, which would be great for most running backs, but it's nothing compared to the dominating performance he had had the year before. Averages are down as far as yards per carry and such. Are we starting to think that all of that usage and the injuries are beginning to wear him down? There was at times when in that season, I think more so than the previous years, in certain games, his patience may have worked against him. People had scouted him better after so many years in the league to see what he was doing. And it wasn't that he didn't always have good games. But there were certain games where he does that little cutback move and he reverses back on himself. and He gets tackled for three-yard loss. So there's probably a few more of those in the season. That, uh, um, I think they've got the emergence of uh, Juju in the offense a little bit more. So maybe while he's still getting his carries, the focus in the offense at certain points in the game isn't to keep running him, whereas the year before, they're up by 14, was just pounding it, pounding it, pounding it with Le'Veon Bell for some inexplicable reason. They're not doing that. 
there's definitely times when the Steelers didn't run him when they should have done. In games when they were doing well in the first half with him, they'd go away from him in the second half. Yes, he had statistically a down year, but I wouldn't necessarily say he was a lesser player than he had been the year before. I would say more of it was a situational and scheme issue that kind of deflated his stats a little bit. When it came to the playoffs, um, again, the Jacksonville game, this stat line, I think, shows they were just feeding him the ball through the air. They were passing like crazy. The Steelers got down quite early in that game. The run got abandoned fairly quickly, even though the scoreline suggests it shouldn't have done later on. And it was a good year for him. But the tweet backfired on him massively. And then he would go on to do the Super Bowl rodeo row round of speeches the following weeks later, like all players seem to do, and go on and on about how his teammates overlooked their upcoming opponent and nobody was properly focused on the Jaguars. And if his teammates could just focus on the, the match at hand, then obviously they'd be more successful, which is it's a little bit hard to take when you're one of the people that's tweeting out about overlooking the Jaguars in the first place. A lot of that did not sit well with fans. I don't think it sat well with some teammates. I don't think it sat well with coaches. It, it was not a good look for him as a way to end the season, especially in a in a season where he's been played on the franchise tag. And I think they offered him something like 60, 60, 65 million over five years ahead of that season that he turned down. Uh, I believe at the time his agent wanted to accept it. There was all these rumors in Pittsburgh that they'd come to an arrangement and then within hours, there was no, 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 I haven't. The agent may have agreed it, but Bell's rejected it. And then, or hell breaks loose, obviously, going into 2018. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Two days before that tweet about the Jaguars is when people start to whisper because Bell says if the Steelers franchise tag him again, he's going to consider sitting out the season or even outright retiring. Like you said, he turned down that other contract offer, and now he's out there saying, get the numbers right, get them where we want them. I'm not going to sell for anything less. I know what I bring to the table. I'm not going to go out here and carry the ball 400 times if I'm not getting what I feel valued at. Now, I understand what he's trying to say. But A, it seems like the timing here is kind of poor considering that you're going into a playoff game. And B, I would imagine that the fans are really starting to turn on him with this and then combined with what he did with that Jacksonville tweet and the Radio Row comments. Yeah, the problem for Bell, although he is a rapper, he is terrible with words. And his <laughs> timing sucks. And he cannot, and we have Steelers experiencing this with Antonio Brown at the moment. Both of them are very similar in this. They are very bad at feeling the temperature of the room and gauging public perception of them. And they seem to say the absolute worst thing at the wrong time. If Bell, when he's asked a question, you know, what, what's going to happen with your contract next season? You just have to say, I'll be thinking about that after the playoffs. I'm focusing on the Jaguars. Or anything of those, those sort of stock phrase answers, and nobody cares. The journalists don't care. They just want you to answer something. But no, he has to tell you what he thinks. And you can say, why shouldn't he? Fair enough. It's his life. He should. But you work within a team. You have teammates. And there are things that are appropriate to say at certain times. And there are things that are inappropriate to say at certain times. And he never, that year in particular, never seemed to understand when was the right time to shut up, when was the right time to say something. You had your opportunities. and You can you know, go and speak to the press, do your interviews probably don't do it the day before a playoff game 
just just don't why can't you wait 24 hours 48 hours to say that he had no filter and that was something that would get him into trouble not just with the fans but his teammates and i wanted to ask you about that too because Obviously, as we know, this all leads to what happens on March 6, 2018, where the Steelers place the franchise tag on Bell again for the second straight year. He's due to be paid $14.5 million, but he refuses to sign the tag, doesn't attend any team activities after contract negotiations stalled in July, and then after he misses the first nine games and doesn't report, he is out for the year and the divorce is coming. So let's talk about this a little bit. A, what was the reaction going on around the local media, the fans, the players, and people around the organization at the time when he's refusing to sign? And B, one thing that I did notice is that there were teammates that spoke out publicly against him, which you don't normally see, including the team's union rep. So did it seem Mm -hmm. to you like this was more of a systemic problem that these guys had just grown tired of him being around in the locker room? The issue for Le'Veon Bell that season was, particularly in the off-season, he did a series of Instagram or however he posted them, messages to the fans, where quite literally in a three-minute segment, he would say, so I'm going to set out the season this year. I'm not going to set out the season this year. I'm going to come back. I'm going to play in week one. I would never miss a game. But I'm going to miss out the whole I'm going to set out the whole season. Literally, in an entire sentence, you'd be like, what? He just said like five different things that all contradicted each other. So the message coming at him was utterly confused. But as far as the players and the coaches were concerned, and sort of the messages his agent had put out, it was going to be the same as it had been the year before. He wasn't going to sign the tag. He wasn't going to come to training camp. But when the season came around, he was going to turn up the day before and he was going to play the season reluctantly under the tag. Now, they never explicitly said that, like 100%, we guarantee this is what we're going to do. But it was undeniably implied to everybody within the organization and that is why when he didn't show up you saw the backlash that you got from Ramon Foster or Keith Pouncey even Alejandro Villanueva who was just not that guy at all to say something negative about anyway I mean to even speak about a player in the press is utterly contrary to the to the man that he is but they were I would say to a man convinced through the conversations they had privately had with the player and what they'd heard in the media and the and the, the social media posts that he would be there when the season started so when he doesn't show up a lot of people are hurt shocked angry surprised pick pick an adjective that you like this leads to a strain between him and the organization that apparently can't be repaired because now he's going to be an unrestricted free agent gonna have plenty of teams bidding on him Before I get to the Jets aspect of this, as somebody who covers the Steelers, do you think that the team and Bell are both better off just going in separate directions at this point because the Steelers have Connor, who seems to have really picked up their system and thrived in it. Bell seems to be mentally divorced from this whole situation and so as talented as he is, time for both sides to move on? In the biggest game, yes. If Le'Veon Bell is... Still, in my opinion, the best running back in the NFL. Far, far, far superior to Todd Gurley uh, or Zeke Elliott. If the Steelers kept him, they would be a much better team. But he wants a lot of money. The Steelers do not have a lot of cap space. They have huge sums committed to various players on defense, Antonio Brown. They will have a huge contract. They're going to have to give to Juju smith Juice if they want to keep him. Ben Roethlisberger is going to get another contract this year. At some point, you have to accept the financial limitations and paying Le'Veon Bell 
14, 15 million dollars a year was not a great plan, but they were prepared to do it. They offered him 75 million, I think, over five years just before the season began. So they were clearly prepared to commit that much salary cap to space to him. Now, with another year, I think management reluctantly have to accept that things are soured so badly. There is no point. So let's get to the Jets aspect of this. You said the Steelers don't have a lot of money, and they do have some playmakers there. Obviously, we'll see what happens with Antonio Brown, but Smith-Schuster has emerged. Connor played really well. They have an established Ben Roethlisberger. Let's say you're a team like the Jets. You have a ton of cap space. You have a young quarterback, and you desperately are in need of a superstar player who can make plays for this young quarterback and help elevate his play. Considering all the good that you saw, but also all the bad, the strain with his teammates, the injuries, the suspensions, if you are a general manager like Mike McCagnin, the GM of the New York Jets, and you're sitting there and you have to make this decision of whether or not to offer him, let's say, a Todd Gurley type of contract, is it something that you would do? Specifically, if I'm the Jets, I wouldn't touch him with a barge pole. Not because he's not a great running back. Not because he can't help your team, but specifically for the Jets, I would not want to put that man in New York. Not in a million years. I would not want to put him in one of the media centers of the world, surrounded by distractions. Absolutely not. If I was a team that was signing him, I'd want to be Indianapolis or Kansas City, Buffalo. Somewhere where there's nothing to do apart from play football. That, That celebrities and other rap stars don't want to come and hang out in Buffalo in the winter. New York, man, you're just asking for trouble. And I'd also say that, that, or you'll remember that he doesn't want to play for you, specifically he doesn't (laughs) want to play for the Jets. Let me find the quote. I believe $60 million ain't enough to get me to come run with you. Run with the Jets, sorry. So I'd I'd take that personally. Personally. If I was a GM of a team, I would want people to come and play for me. I would want them to look at my team. Yeah, I don't care if I'm the Cleveland Browns. I would want them to look and go, that's a great franchise. They're going places. I don't want the guy sending, s- sending out messages to social media saying, 60 million is not enough to make me come play for you because you essentially suck, which is what he said. So no, I wouldn't want him. For your perspective, with a young quarterback who's going to look at Le'Veon Bell as some sort of leader, with, from what I understand, the Jets organization, a relatively young team without obvious superstars on it you're going to put him on the team and make him the leader the clear undisputed leader of the entire team the young players on both sides of the ball that will look up to that will dominate all of your press conferences and be the feature of all your your media and publications your posters his poster will be up all over new york nah. that to me seems an insane thing to do Simon, last question. I want to bring this full circle because, as I mentioned at the beginning, the only NFL head coach who showed up to the Michigan State Pro Day to watch Le'Veon Bell after he decided to leave school following his junior season was the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin. So there had to be some sort of special connection there with the two of them. Is that something that degraded along with everything else? And how do you think that he would work with somebody like Adam Gase, who, as we know, is kind of a my way or the highway type of personality? (laughs) Um, Mike Tomlin definitely likes him. Unquestionably, he likes him. Uh, If you ever see... They sort of like those outtake videos where like they're in a cafeteria before they're stretching on the field. They clearly had a, a, 
a nice relationship between them. There was affection there. And I think even now he still likes him. Um, I think he wishes he was different and things had worked out better between them. And I, but I don't get the sense that Le'Veon Bell holds Mike Tomlin responsible for his contractual issues. I'm sure he's not happy that Tomlin said a few things in the press like we want him to be here or he's not helping himself by staying away or any of those sort of standard things that a coach normally says about a player holding out. I think Le'Veon Bell's quite easy to get on with. I think his teammates love him. And he's there. I mean, they may be angry with him now if he didn't show up. But for the years before that, I never, I can't really think of hearing anybody say anything bad about him. Nice guy, funny, good sense of humour, generous, cool to hang out with. Got lots of mates who are like celebrities and stuff, could hang out with in the off-season. He is a fun guy. There's, it's unfair to characterise Le'Veon Bell as a bad person because he's not. Le'Veon Bell just wants what's his and what he perceives his value to be. Now, regardless of what I think his value is or anybody else thinks what, it matters what he thinks his value is. He may not have gone about getting that in arguably the not, not the nicest way possible, but I don't think anything he's done has been especially malicious. Um, his social media usage, if anything, indicates a relatively insecure man who is just wants to be loved by the fans. Just doesn't go about it in a very good way. A complex person and certainly a full picture that we painted here today to get a glimpse into the good and the bad of Le'Veon Bell, not just the player, but the man. Thank you so much, Simon Chester, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Really glad to get a look at Le'Veon Bell through the eyes of somebody that covered the Steelers throughout his entire run. It's going to be fascinating to see if he ends up on the Jets or somewhere else. And like you said, Simon, I'm sure that if he does sign here, plenty of members of the media are going to be running with that quote that he had about the $60 million. So keep your eye out for that if he does end up signing here. It's going to provide plenty of copy for the Daily News and the Post and all of those newspapers locally. Thanks so much for coming on again. For anybody that doesn't know where to find you, why don't you go ahead and let them know. Uh, you can find my work on uh, Behind the Steel Curtain, part of uh, the SB Nation conglomerate of uh, NFL sites. You can follow me on Twitter, Simon A. Chester. Uh, and yeah, you're welcome. It's, it's nice to talk about Bell. Um, good luck if you do get him. I, w- I wish him well. I think most of the fans would reluctantly admit that. We wish him well wherever he goes, and I'll be watching him and hope he does, hope he does good things. If he does sign with the Jets, it'll be interesting to see the reaction that he gets if they end up playing the Steelers sometime within the next year or two. It'll be interesting to see if he gets the ovation that some of these guys get or if he gets booed because of how things went south at the end. But that'll be a to-be-continued situation. Thanks again, Simon, and thank you for listening. Don't forget, for all the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know there's only one place to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.